So open your Bibles to Joshua chapter 5. And the theme is being courageous, recommitting to the task. So let's remember where we're at. They've just crossed over the Jordan River. Now get the picture in your mind because that's probably over a million people. Over a million people. And they've crossed over the Jordan, dry ground, miraculous. And now they've come down and they've camped. They've camped not too far from Jericho. Jericho, of course, will be their first place of conquest. Now, as we studied from chapter 2, Jericho's been prepared. Been prepared by God, but he's using whom? Who's he using in uh, Jericho to make sure that things happen correctly? Remember from Rahab, from harlot to heroine? And um, so God's got all that prepared. They've just crossed, they've camped, and now they're going to prepare for victory. There's a little bit more to do. The first 12 verses, which we'll study today, is, is the people getting prepared. And then verses 13, 14, 15, which we'll study next Sunday, is Joshua getting prepared. And then the next chapter is marching into Jericho after a few trips around the block, which is interesting. We were in Jericho about a year ago, a year ago last week. And Jericho's not a neat place. It's just not pleasant. It's like the oldest civilization that they have ex excavated. And they show you these are the walls from this era. This is the walls from this era. This is funny. We can't find the walls from the era of Joshua. Uh, which I wonder why, you know. But remember somebody asked that. Uh, and uh, they, they said, well, we don't know where those are. We know why. But this was a time of recommitment right before. Because if you look at uh, verse 3, I mean 2, it says, make for your, God says to Joshua, make for yourselves flint knives and circumcise, what, again, <coughs> the sons of Israel, what, the second time. So this is a time of recommitment. We call it today, instead of recommitment most of the time, we call it rededication. And uh, if you grew up, some of you may have grown up in church, as I did. Um, and when I grew up in church, um, there was a, always, a, always an altar call, a, an invitation, our pastor called it, at the end of the service. He called for people to come and be saved. He called for people to come and be baptized. He called for people to come and make professions of faith. He called for people to come and um, join the church. Uh, joining the church was simple back then. You came in and said, yeah, did you yeah, move your life? Yeah, okay, you're in. You know, it's not quite the same today. But so all these people come forward, for, and then he offer, offered an opportunity to come and do what? Rededicate your life. And for a while, while I was a teenager, there was a real revival among the teenagers in our, our youth group. And it ended up, um, from that youth group, I think there were 33 
and Bible college at the same time that came out of that youth group going into the ministry. But it was a, we were young, we didn't know what we were doing. And so he'd give, he called, on Sunday night he called for rededication. Every teenager went forward every Sunday night to rededicate their life. So, I mean, we had to, you know, and it got to where, you know, you had to go and rededicate your life. I look back and you say, what, what, what are you, a, a, a heretic? You're not going to rededicate your life? So I think I rededicated my life about 742 times uh, when I was a teenager. And my, <laughs> yeah, some people say, well, it really didn't stick, did it? Uh, so rededication. Rededication is what we talk about. That's really what this is. This is a recommitment of the children of Israel to do God's will. So they're, they're preparing. Now they're going to prepare in two areas. Two things that they're going to do that will be a sign of what's inside. One is circumcision, and one will be the Passover. Those two things are going to happen in this chapter. Um, so let's get right into it. The, the first thing in verse 1 is the power of God that was revealed to those on the outside. Look at uh, now in verse 1 of this uh of this chapter, it says, Now it came, uh, it came about when all the kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to the west, and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea on the west coast, heard how the Lord had dried up the waters of Jordan before the sons of Israel until they had crossed, that their hearts melted and there was no spirit in them any longer because of the sons of Israel. Anybody have an NLT version of the Bible that you're reading from? The NLT, here's what the NLT says. It says they, they lost heart and were paralyzed with fear. It's good, isn't it? That's what it was. That, that was prophesied. Remember we talked about this the first week or second week in Joshua. In, in uh, Exodus chapter 15, verses 14, 15, 16, the song of Moses and Israel, the people... They're, 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 uh, Moses and, and them are, are those recorded. It says the people's have heard, they tremble, anguish has gripped the inhabitants of Philistia, the Philistine. Then the chiefs of Edom were dismayed. The leaders of Moab trembling grips them. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread fall upon them by the greatness of your arm. They are motionless as stone until your people pass over. O Lord, until the people pass over whom you have purchased." All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. And it says here that their hearts were, had lost hearts, had melted away, and they were paralyzed with fear. They saw the power of God. Okay? So everybody knows on the other side that they're about to get whacked. They're about to lose everything. Now if you go to verse 2 with me, that's where he has the price of commitment. You know, we talk about rededication, recommitment. You want to know what the story of the Bible is all about? You start immediately after the fall of man, and the rest of the Bible is about this one thing. God wants a restored relationship with his creation. That's it. Everything in the Bible points to that. And this is, he's restoring his relationship with the children of Israel. 
and there is a price for that. Look at uh, verse 2. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, Make for yourselves flint knives and circumcise again the sons of Israel the second time. So Joshua made himself flint knives and circumcised the sons of Israel at Gibeath Haraloth. Um, this, uh, this is a pretty significant event. We'll talk about it later, but there were, there were probably, you know, commentators say a thousand different things, but uh, Numbers 2651, which says the, uh, gives the census. Right now, the census, the best we could tell going into it is 600,000 men. It's a lot of people. So the, the generation, as you read this, the generation of males that left Egypt were circumcised. And then it says they died in the wilderness. And the rest had not been circumcised. So circumcision, let's go back and see what circumcision is all about. Why is this so important? Who's got Genesis 17, 9 through 14? Okay, now listen to this. This is God uh, speaking to Abraham. And this is uh, the establishment of the Abrahamic covenant and will help us understand the initial um, institution, the institution of circumcision. All right, uh, so Brenda, read that 9 through 14. Then God said to Abraham, As for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants, after you for the generations to come. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you. The covenant you are to keep, every male shall, I'm sorry, every male among you shall be circumcised. You are to undergo circumcision, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and you. For the generations to come, every male among you who is eight days old must be circumcised, including those born in your household or bought with money from a foreigner those who are not your offspring. Whether born in your household or bought with your money, they must be circumcised. My covenant in your flesh is to be an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who has not been circumcised in the flesh will be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Okay, so you, you know, it, extremely important sign of the Abrahamic covenant, circumcision. And it's a sign of separation to God. It's a sign of giving your body to God, of being a holy nation, a separate nation, a different people. Now, the, uh, it, it was important before they had the Passover. You could not partake of the Passover unless you'd been circumcised. Um, and so and if you read Exodus uh, chapter 12, it talks particularly about aliens, not ones from, not those the aliens from strangers and are outside of outside foreigners. They had to be circumcised. They could come and attend the Passover, but they could not participate in the Passover unless they had been circumcised as well. So it's important as they prepare for the Passover. So it, re, it just reminds them that their body was belonged to the Lord. Let's read a little bit more about it. What does it really mean? It just signifies something. All right. Who's got Deuteronomy 10, 16? Circumcise your hearts 
therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer. Okay. Circumcise your what? Heart. Say it with me. Circumcise your what? Heart. 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 All right. So it's not just the outward symbol. It's the inward significance of circumcision. Circumcise your what? Your heart. All right. So what does that mean? I'm glad you asked. Who's got Romans chapter 2? I do. Romans 2, 28 through 29. For a person is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision something that is outward in the flesh. But someone is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is of the heart, by the Spirit, and not by the written code. This person's praise is not from people, but from God. Okay, so you're having some work done surgically on your heart. And the sign of that was circumcision, physical circumcision. Now, let's read one more verse, and I like this. Who has Philippians chapter 3? Philippians, okay, Philippians 3, 2 and 3. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by His Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. That's, who's, that's what circumcision is all about. What is he talking about? Well, watch out for the dogs. So he's talking about, you know, the you know wild packs of dogs running down the street? No. What was he talking about? False teachers. What's that? False teachers. Yes, false teachers. And what were they teaching? They were teaching the <laughs> Gentiles had to be circumcised uh, in order to be saved. They could not be a part of it. You want to be a true Jew? You have to get circumcised physically. But Romans, Paul said what? What David just read, you know, you're not a Jew unless you're, one, uh, you're circumcised in your heart. So, um, it, it, was, it was time for the nation. God said, look, this is a sign of the Abrahamic covenant. He said, I promise. What did God promise Abraham in, the, in his covenant? He promised. The, he, there he goes. He, he, promised the, he promised the land. Promised the seed and the blessing as well, but he promised the land. Now they're entering the land. Already got the seed. God wants to bless them. Now he said, "So circumcise yourself." Uh, this this is a high price to pay, and uh, it, it's a little different being circumcised. I assume when you're eight days old, as God commanded, and when you're 48 years old. All right, just remember that because that, that's important. We're going to come back to that. I won't read you some of the titles of the sermons that I heard about this, but this is just the penalty for disobedience, verse 4 through 6a. Uh, this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All the people who came out of Egypt who were males, all the men of war, died in the wilderness along the way uh, after they came out of Egypt. Verse 5, for all the people who came out were circumcised. But all the people who were born in the wilderness along the way that came out of Egypt had not been circumcised. For the sons of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness until all the nation, that is, the men of war who came out of Egypt, perished because they did not listen to the voice of the Lord. Penalty for disobedience is pretty clear. Now, don't, don't jump to the obvious penalty. They all perished in the wilderness. What is the penalty for disobedience to all those folks? What was the greatest penalty besides death? Why? 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 They, they, they missed the blessing. <laughs> they missed the blessing. Who's the biggest price for our disobedience? We missed the blessing. God says, go here. And we go, well, I want to go here. He said, well, then you're going to be punished. 
That's not the biggest punishment or chastisement. The biggest chastisement, we miss the blessing. I think back over all the times that so many times that I believe that God spoke to my heart and I did not follow through. I missed the blessing. They wandered around for 40 years. Because when the when the 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 twelve spies, and you'll be glad this is a smart class, the other class got this wrong. Um, but when the twelve spies came back, ten were bad, two were good, the two said it's great, the ten said what? They're big guys. They're giants. They hurt us. Because I don't want to go. And they didn't go. They missed the blessing. Okay, let's keep going. They missed the blessing, but what happened? God raised up other people to do as well. You see, the sovereignty of God, and I talked about this in a little note that I sent out this week. You know, we hear this, this, uh, this little fat guy over in North Korea beating it out, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, and Trump comes back and says, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that, and we're all blah, 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 da, 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 da. And it may be, it, you say, man, aren't you worried about it? Well, you know, I'd rather it not happen. I'd rather there be peace. But no, I'm not worried about it. Because, yeah, we could, we could see total devastation. But you know what? It doesn't alter the sovereignty of God. God has a plan for His creation, and it is going to be fulfilled. The thing here, what happened here, is the people that it was prom that it was promising they could have had it, they could have enjoyed it, and they missed it. But God raised up somebody else, and their kids got to go in, <laughs> and they got to enjoy it. I want my kids to enjoy the blessing of God too, but I don't want to miss it, and then they get to enjoy it, and I don't get to enjoy it. That's selfish, isn't it? Yes, sir. At first, when you, you started out, you said there was great fear among those nations. Yeah. Their hearts melted. That's the first time I've heard that. It was ripe for them to do it. Absolutely. It was God's time, and man got in the way. Yeah. When they started figuring things out. Right. They said, we have to do it on our own. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Okay, let's go to verse 8 and 9. Um, they didn't listen to the voice of the Lord. To whom the Lord had sworn that he would not let them see the land which the Lord had sworn twice. Underline that in your Bible. He says it's a promise, right? It's a promise. The promise of God. He had sworn to their fathers to give us a land flowing with milk and honey. Right? And then verse 7, their children whom he raised up in their place, Joshua circumcised, for they were uncircumcised because they had not circumcised them along the way. So, I'll just say one 600,000 men. I don't know how many of them were circumcised, if they circumcised any of them. The Bible doesn't tell us. And I, I read commentators, it just would, it would, it would crack you up to read what some people read. Try, they got it down. No, there were 397,221 men who needed to be circumcised. So, you know, I don't have time for that. I mean, come on. Who counts all of that? If you read Numbers 26, 51, it'll tell you there's 600,000. But they can't, now think about this. They camped in enemy territory. They're, they're two miles, probably, from Jericho. 
And Joshua comes and says, okay, now, Jericho's the first place you're going to get. But before we go, everybody get circumcised. Ooh, not a happy thing. They say, whoa, whoa, time out, time out, time out. Why don't we, I've got a better idea. Why don't we go beat up on Jericho first, then we'll come back and we'll talk about this circumcision thing. Right? Isn't that what we would want to do? That's what I'd want to do. As a matter of fact, I'd say, you know, let's just put that off for another 40, 50 years. Be fine. When you fight through the pain. <laughs> but in the, in, in the neighborhood of Jericho, everybody, all their soldiers, it's circumcised, it's surgery. And so they're laid up for a couple of weeks. But they didn't really realize, I don't think, that Jericho was very afraid of them. And that God, God is saying to Joshua, just trust me, I got this. Do what's right, and you got a promise. You're going, you've got this covenant. This circumcision is a sign of that covenant. And then you're going to go in and you're going to wipe them out. All right, now let's go ahead. Now when they, verse 8, Now when they had finished circumcising all the nation, remained in their places at camp until they were healed. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the approach of Egypt from you. So the name of that place is called Gilgal till this day. So they have the protection of God. They're sitting there in a the camp. They have the protection of God. 600,000 of them. And after, one of the things I thought about, was have you ever noticed in the Bible how many times after great victory becomes comes a great test? You ever thought about that? Let me just let, think of a few. Abraham. Abraham gets called. I want you to go, and I want you this. You know, you're going to get the land. You're going to get the blessing. You're going to have the seed. All this great thing's going to happen. And Abraham says, "This is great. Let's go." What's the first thing that happens? Famine. Famine. Think about Elijah. Elijah standing up on the mountain, and, and uh, we went there too. That was really that's that's really a cool place to think about. There's a pig statue statue of Elijah, and uh, but he's up there, and uh, it has the the battle of the uh, network prophets, and Elijah and Jehovah versus Baal and all the prophets, and what happens? He wipes them out, right? God brings fire down from heaven. They cut themselves and scream and holler and they can't get anything. So all of that happens. Great victory, Elijah, great victory. What's the first thing that happens? Jezebel, someone will kill you. And what does he do? He splits. He's gone. The best example, the best biblical example of this truth, and there's a reason for it. I want you to think about what's the reason for that. Jesus is baptized. Jesus is baptized. God said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. What a moment. Where's the first place he goes? The wilderness. Temptation. Right? Why do we have this testing after great, God allows this testing to come to life after great victories? Why does this happen? What do you think? Confirms God's power and control over everything. Right. To keep us. Instead of, yes, that's right. And keep us dependent on Him because what, what happens? We have these great victories. What's the human nature say? Look what I did. 
And God said, well, let's just let you go through a little bit of testing here. And then when you're humble, I can use you for great victory again. All right. The provision of God is verse 10 through 12. Protection of God, verse 8 through 9. Provision of God, verse 10 through 12. The provision is pretty straightforward. While the sons of Israel camped at Gilgal, they observed the Passover on the evening of the 14th day of the month. How many times have they observed the Passover? Up until this point. Anybody know? Record it. Now, you know, I don't know how many times. This is the third time. This is the third time, right? First time was when? Egypt. Remember the death the death plague. The death angel flies over. If you have the blood on the doorpost, I'll pass over you. And God did. He spared all the firstborn. That was, that was where the Passover started. He passed over. The next time was at Mount Sinai. One year later at Mount Sinai. Now let's jump ahead. 40 years now, we've got the Passover again. This third time. Important time. Important sign that God wants them to know that He wants them to prepare get their hearts right with him remember their salvation and redemption this is picturing they're going out they're coming in going out of Egypt coming into the promised land going out of the wilderness going out of the world out of the way of um, the Egyptians into the way and into the place and the blessing of God observe the Passover <coughs> whole nation it ended 40 years of wilderness living getting manna every morning now what happened? Verse 11. On the day after the Passover, they ate some of the produce of the land. The provision of God. They ate some of the produce. And in verse 12, the manna ceased on the day after they'd eaten some of the produce of the land. So that the sons of Israel no longer had manna. But they ate of the yield of the land of Canaan during that year. Isn't that amazing? Um, we didn't read several of the verses I wanted you to read. Who has Deuteronomy 6, 10 through 11? Read that, Tammy. When the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you a land with large, flourishing cities you did not build, houses filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide, wells you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. Then, when you eat, and are satisfied. So now he said you're going to get to live in houses you didn't build. You're going to get to eat produce that you didn't plant. He said this is that God's going to provide for you. You've had manna. Can you imagine having manna for 40 years and then all of a sudden well, why don't you have some grapes and grains and fruit and some of the, th the beautiful uh, and when you're in Israel you see this. It's just it's such a fertile land and so many you know, just amazing what grows and it just all of a sudden it goes I'll provide for you it was all about preparing for victory write down what it applies for you here's how it applied to me number one we get sidetracked and distracted from they had not followed the command to be circumcised Forty years later, they had not followed and commemorated the um, Passover, going out, coming in. Why? They got distracted. 
they were worried about this and worried about that and wandered and wandered and wandered for a two-week trip. It's a 40-year trip. They get distracted. Folks, you know, I, please tell me I'm not alone. We get distracted. What God wants us to do, we get distracted. We get distracted by good things. We get distracted from our, you know, we get distracted from all the things that God calls us to do and wants us to do, the, the disciplines God wants us to have in our life. We get distracted during our prayer time. We get distracted during church. We get distracted from, um, you know, communion. We get distracted. All these things we get distracted from uh, where we're supposed to be and what we're supposed to be doing. So recommit to following God's will for your life. Recommit or you dedicate. And renewed commitment, though, brings renewed blessings. They're just a short time away from Jericho. And the blessings of seeing, seeing God just say, okay, walls fall down. That's two weeks from now. We'll talk about that. I said if we had time that I was going to, for the first time, uh, share my testimony because it deals specifically with this. So if you don't mind, we'll take five minutes and do that. Um, if you do mind, I'm going to do it anyway. So I was, uh, I was uh, saved when I was 12 years old. I was in a great Christian home, great Christian parents who love God. You've met my mother. And uh, they raised me to love God. I made a profession when I was six. I was sitting next to the preacher's kid, which is always a bad thing to do. And I was sitting next to the preacher's kid, and he said, I'm going forward, I'm going to get saved. I said, well, I am too then. So I went forward, and I don't remember much about it, but back then when I was 12 years old, I, I was in a... As a matter of fact, I was sitting there. He'd gone to another church. His father had gone to another church. And, but they were at this camp. We were at camp at Lake Levon. And we were going to camp, and the preacher preached. And I... I, he was sitting next to me. I punched him. I said, man, I'm not saved. He said, yeah, you are. You got saved same time I did. What's wrong with you? And I said, I, nothing's wrong with me, but I got to get saved. So I remember talking to Jeff Duncan, and he led me to Christ. And, and it, uh, uh, that was the time when I said, I, I am a believer. I do trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for my salvation. As many teenagers, uh, my commitment was uh, wavering for a number of years. And then when I was 16 years old, uh, as I said, we were having a revival in our youth group. We were in, my, my dad had, had decided that um, he'd work, he was a research chemist at Texas Instruments and decided that God had called him into the ministry. So my senior year, of high school, we moved to DeSoto. Not not a happy day for me, but I remember that um, our youth group. There's a young man that was that got saved. He was I was 16. He was 19 when he got saved, or 20. I can't remember, but he got saved, and it took really well. And he started leading people. He was a a, a weightlifter. He was powerlifter. And he was a champion power lifter. And he, um, he started leading everybody to Christ that he knew and bringing them to church. And we had about 10 young people in our youth department. And later on that year, we had about 100. Most of them were saved uh, in, in his ministry. And people getting called into full-time service on it. I mean, it was just fantastic. 
Um, great memories. And then one day when I was uh, 16, uh, I felt that God had called me into the ministry. So I decided at that point that I would go into the ministry. And um, uh, it was at uh, Brook Hollow Baptist Church, which Keith probably the only one that knows where that is and what that is, what that was all about, because he grew up in DeSoto, went to high school with my brother. And um, he, um, so we, we started, uh, we were witnessing everywhere. We would go out on Friday nights and go to all of these parks and witness to people. And we went to Bronco Bowl. Any of you remember Bronco Bowl? Oh, yeah. We used to go to Bronco Bowl and walk around witness to people in Bronco Bowl. We'd get kicked out every Friday night. We'd get kicked out. Um, when I went off to school, I was one of the first ones who went off to Christian school. We went off to, uh, I started here in Dallas and I went off to Christian school in Tennessee, Christian College and uh, Tennessee Temple University, and we went there. There were 33 of us from that youth group in a full-time service that went into that. It was the same time, it's interesting, the same time at Steve Stroop's um, revival was taking place at Samuel High School, and I say Steve Stroop, that's when he had started running a tent service, and interesting how that happened on different parts of town. We were at Kimball High School and all these different places. Yes, sir. I was part of that. You were youth, part. Youth, uh, I got saved at that. Uh, we were at Forrester Field. Yeah. Amazing. That's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. Both of these happening at the same time. Mm -hmm. Didn't know of each other. You know, but it, it was a great period of time. And um, so I, I made it through school and um, then. Um, uh, after I got out of school, it was 1973, um, I came back to Texas and was associate pastor at uh, Crestview Baptist Church in Irving, Texas. Was there for three and a half years. And then was, uh, I got a call from Ramsey, New Jersey. You know, and I, I had no desire to go to <laughs> Ramsey, New Jersey. And, uh, but that, I went up there it's a very small church, and uh, and they wanted uh, they they wanted me to speak. I spoke and and um, came back, and they they called me back. Said, "Are you interested in coming to speak in view of a call?" Which I said yes, and found out that a man in the church had to pay for me to go up because the church didn't they they had the money. I found out later, but they wouldn't pay the money to fly me up. So I went up there and spoke, became pastor of that church, and. Um, Grace Baptist Church in uh, Ramsey, New Jersey, where it's all, we were the only Baptist church. We were the only gospel preaching church in Ramsey, New Jersey. And the um, oh Lord bless, and we had many, many adults saved, and the church grew. 56 people the first Sunday I was there, I'll never forget. And the last Sunday I was there, the biggest Sunday that we had while I was there, we had 450, and just a, it was a great uh, experience. And then something uh, very uh, difficult, tragic to our to my life personally took place and a year later I felt like it was important for me to move on and to uh, to resign which I did um, and if you want to know more of those details I'm happy to tell you I just don't want to tell them now um, but I'll be if you want to know what they are you come talk to me I'll tell you what they are um, but uh, me and uh, my two girls left and I didn't know what I was going to do. I had no training in anything. And uh, a man um, 
called me up, said, would you come interview? I knew him. He was another church. He was friends with people in our church. He knew me really well. So I said, sure, I'll come interview in New York City. So I go down and I interviewed for Mobile Oil. And I went through the interview process that they all just sort of talked to me about, you know, the weather and everything else. And I said, I don't know much, but this is a strange interview, you know. <laughs> Have you guys ever had an interview like that where you go in and they just sort of, and I was 28 years old. And so I went through the interview and um, about a week later, I get a call and say, we'd like to make you a job offer. I go, okay. <laughs> Sounds good to me. And they, you know, I didn't know anything about any, any of this. I mean, I'd worked my way through college. I'd been, you know, so I had worked in the real world. That wasn't it. But I got a, I got an offer. I looked at this offer, and I just remember thinking, I'm a millionaire. Because <laughs> I was making, I was making I'll, I'll tell you, I was making $14,000 a year, and they offered me $28,000 a year. I said, I am loaded. <laughs> so then um, I went to work there. I found executive division employee relations manager, and he'd just come in and told the guys, we're hiring him, but you go ahead and interview him. Now that's God, right? And um, then after I'd worked there for a while, uh, uh, my wife and I met and married and we uh, have been married ever since Amen. as far as I know <laughs> 37 years but then, then something happened and we we tried to we, we start we started going to a church we talked about this yesterday we started going to a church and um, the church because of certain and, and you know you'll understand certain rules said you can't you can't do anything. We, you know, we can't marry you. You can't teach. You can't do this. You can't do that. And that's, it's a good church, a good man. It's just that was the rules. So we went to church there for a while, and then we got transferred, came back to Dallas, and took three different jobs here, and started doing some things in church. But the more I got transferred, going to California, and Fairfax and Houston and all these different places transferred around and God had blessed us with, with success and but I found that I was always go always going to church, always supporting the Lord's work. Uh, loved the Lord, but ultimately I found myself doing nothing. Nothing. I'd go to church, we'd go to church, and um, We'd go to Sunday school a lot of time, but then we quit going to Sunday school, or now it's Life Group or Adult Bible Fellowship or whatever the thunder they called it back then. So we started going uh, to church, and uh, we started skipping Sunday school and everything. And this is no reflection on, on uh, my family. This is all on me, but we were raising our three girls, and we raised them in a Christian school, and I believe we gave them a good Christian home and did everything we could for them. But deep in my heart, I knew I had walked away from following God's will and doing God's will for my life. I was missing the blessing. And ultimately, we ended up in Emory, Texas on uh, Lake Fork. And um, I was in heaven. I had set on my boat, fish every day, 
when I wasn't fishing, I was golfing when I wasn't doing that. And after about three years, I was miserable. We went to a church there and it was okay. There's 19 churches in Emory. 19 Baptist churches, I think, in Emory. I think it's over-evangelized, to be honest with you. But I, we were going to church, I was doing nothing. Doing nothing. Oh, I, yeah, I'd like to fish and I like to do all this stuff, but I was doing nothing. And then the still, small voice finally caught up. Amen. said, where have you been? And I said, right here. And he said, welcome back. We left three months later. It's a very similar situation right now, but sold our house, didn't have a place to live. So we came over this direction. I said, okay, Lord, we're here. Now what? We're here. We're in this crummy apartment waiting for our house to be built. What do we do now? He said, well, don't worry. You're going to have to do it again. In five years, you're going to live in a crummy apartment again. <laughs> so we're waiting. God says, go to church here. We didn't know where to go to church, did we? We had no idea. I thought this was still church on the whoopee rock, you know, <laughs> roll down the aisle or whatever you do and give me all your money. I, I, I'm not, I just, that's what I thought. And so, I didn't, Steve, who? I don't know who it was. My friend, Gerald, the pastor, he called, he said, you need to go to this church. This, this guy, this guy's preaching over there, he's the Baptist Pope. Oh, no. Oh, no. So that struck a chord with me. I said, we got to go. We walked in the first service. They said, we're home. Where do we go to class? We got to go to class. We walked in. The first door we walked to was Tommy Armstrong's life group. Sally and I looked at each other and said, everybody in here is too old for us. <laughs> Today it would have been a different story. <laughs> it's too old for, for us. Two weeks later, you know, we two, three weeks later, whatever it is, Mary came up and said, "You're joined. You, we joined you last Sunday." I said, "Good. That's the way we do it, as y'all know. We just <laughs> we join you." And, um, and so then, uh, about three weeks after that, Tommy said, "I, I let's I want to let's go have a cup of coffee." I said, "Okay." He said, "Let's go to McDonald's." I said, this is not my idea of coffee. <laughs> so we went to McDonald's every time after that, went to Starbucks, but we went to McDonald's. He said, would you be interested in teaching once in a while? I said, sure. So I went in and started teaching and uh, taught for about a year. God said, just be patient. That's what I want you to do. I said, okay. About a year later, he said, would you co-teach the class with me? And I go, we sort of had an argument about how much I'd get to teach and that didn't, we never resolved that argument. Because when I said, look, I was supposed to teach the next three weeks, you said you're gonna be out of town. He said, well, I'm not gonna be out of town. I said, well, I don't care. I still, I'm supposed to teach. And he said, no, let's meet and talk about that. He came back, he said, yeah, you are supposed to teach, but not in here. So I want you to start a class. And that's what God said. This is where I wanted you 30 years ago. But you said, now nah, I just sort of hang out. You were sort of angry and you were sort of mad about things. And you said, well, I just sort of drift around. What blessing I missed. But you know what? I got on my knees and I said, okay, I'll recommit and I'll do this. It's nothing about me. It's all about God saying, I've been waiting. He said, 
welcome back. Now get busy. And that's what God said to the children of Israel. Welcome back. Get prepared. Go wipe them out. <laughs>